That, uh, that's a tough act to follow. Um, I'm going to do my best. Uh, but with that, we are, we are glad that you're here this morning. Uh, we're so excited to see you. Thank you to everybody who helped out with Breakfast with Santa. Uh, even if you just came and ate, like, that helps. We are thankful for you. If you're joining us online, welcome. We are glad that you're here as well. Now, a few weeks ago, uh, I stumbled upon a website called The Loneliness Project. And we've got a picture of it here, I believe, right there. And the project was an idea from a graphic designer in Toronto, Canada. And she created this project during COVID, when, uh, kind of at the beginning of COVID. Certainly a time when people felt disconnected and isolated from their community. And as you can imagine, what started off as just a, a small way within her network to communicate with friends, the emotions that they were fe- feeling, turned into this snowball effect and became this kind of this meme-oriented way of sharing your feelings of isolation and feeling alone. And we've got a few that we're going to run through here. The first one, this person wrote in, Andrew, age 24, wrote in and said, I spent two hours alone wandering around in Ikea because I was too nervous to ask people to come with me. I ate two hot dogs and bought nothing. Now, there's a little humor in there that kind of shields the real emotion at the core of that post feeling alone and feeling like they don't have anybody to connect with and to reach out to. The posts obviously get a little deeper with the next one. All the outward signs of success don't mean a thing when you have no one to share them with. We can kind of feel that this is deeper than just going to Ikea by yourself. It's this feeling of abandonment, this feeling of being alone and isolated from, from people and from community. And one more, I felt like I was the only kid in the whole world whose mom had died. For years, I carried that loneliness with me, and it's just D, age 27. There are thousands of posts like this within this uh, community here, the Loneliness Project. And eventually she shut it down, but for a few years, it carried the weight of what people were feeling, feeling alone and isolated, not having that connection that as humans that we need. And even though we hear and we understand things like this, these emotions, there are certainly moments in all of our lives where we too have maybe experienced this feeling of being alone and abandoned. And in moments of this, we shouldn't continue down a path of isolation, but I think that we should reflect and look at stories in Scripture that remind us that God is with us and that we have people and community in our lives that we can rely on when we feel alone. Last Sunday, we introduced the story of Mary learning that she would give birth to Jesus, to the Messiah. The sermon closed with a call to live in the courage of what Mary said when she said, Let it be with me according to your words. Remember, just a teenage girl recognizing that God is about to do something in her world that is divine, that is beyond her. She is about to embark on a new journey, one that we know would change the world. But in the excitement of Mary's courage and acceptance, we must not overlook another element that develops in the story of being alone. See, to frame the story, we we have to remember that there's a point in the story where the angel leaves. We don't know the day of the week. We don't know what time of day this, this happened, but there's a point where the angel leaves Mary and she is alone, alone with her thoughts. I like to think that as Mary sat there after having this divine encounter with an angel that she started thinking, 
how am I going to tell my parents? Who do I know that I could reach out to that would possibly believe me when I said, hey, just so you know, I'm sitting at home, angel drops by and tells me that I'm going to give birth to the Messiah. Like she's got to be racking her brain, panicking, thinking, who do I connect with? Who do I tell? And then she gets to the point of, how do I tell Joseph? I've just been engaged to this guy. How am I supposed to tell him, hey, I know that our plan is to get married, uh, to you know, live together, have a family, have this life, but I've got this announcement that I've got to pass along to you, and it's from an angel. Mary must have had these questions running through her mind at light speed, trying to figure out how do I communicate? How do I feel this way? But I imagine that when she went to those places, questioning what she would do and how she would communicate it and who she would tell. I I hope and I believe that Mary maybe remembered the promise of the angel that we saw in Luke chapter 1 verse 35, that God would overshadow her. It says, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. I don't believe, and I mentioned this last week, I don't believe for a moment that this idea of overshadowing would have been lost on Mary. This, she would have been able to connect the symbolism of similar cloud watching over the Israelites, a promise of protection and guidance as they too walked into the unknown. But, but these were stories. The way that these stories were communicated in this day and age where, where parents would, would tell them to their kids maybe as they were going to sleep, I've tried this as well, but some of the Old Testament stories don't really put our kids to sleep, but just instill fear within them. But they likely would have told stories to their kids about this, about God watching over the Israelites, protecting them as they wandered throughout the desert. And so maybe Mary would have been able to go there and say, okay, that's what God is talking about. Like when God is talking about overshadowing me, he's talking about going along with me in this journey and protecting me and watching over me. But again, these were stories from the past. I'm not trying to speak on behalf of Mary, but as a fellow human, what I think I would have needed the most in that moment was real human connection. Someone to relate to, someone to hug, someone to touch. This angel was an out-of-this-world experience, but what Mary longed for was someone to connect with and remind her that she is not alone on this journey. She's not been abandoned and that God will provide protection and overshadow her in this scary season of life. Now, I've mentioned that we're doing Christmas movies, so hard shift. The highest grossing Christmas movie of all time is what? Let's play crowdsourcing. Die Hard. (laughs) The the begging of Die Hard Christmas sermon is not going to happen. So the answer is Home Alone. Home Alone is the highest grossing Christmas movie of all time. And to add a little bit of, as for me and my family, to this conversation, the Kittingers only watch Home Alone 1 and Home Alone 2. Like, we get some head nods. A lot of us just agree with this. For my kids, after Kevin found his mother in New York City, things really worked out for the McAllisters. There were no more issues. Things were great. There were no more movies. There were no needs to figure out if everybody was on the same flight. They were good. And as long as I have it my way and I'm paying for Disney Plus, that's where the story ends. Home Alone 2. But if we had to select a a favorite movie between Home Alone 1 and Home Alone 2, it's 
it's going to be Home Alone 2. And not for why you'd think, which the obvious reason is the pranks. Uh, The pranks are incredible. Uh, Christopher Columbus, who directed the movie, not that Christopher Columbus, but Christopher Columbus, who directed the movie, fascinating job. Excellent pranks. I encourage you this afternoon, go and watch them. You can just find the pranks on YouTube. But the pranks are outstanding, but they're amazing. And yes, the storylines are incredible as well. Marv and Harry escape prison and are rebranded as what? The Excellent. The Sticky Bandits. I'm seeing who's with me. Okay. The Sticky Bandits. And yes, Kevin has yet another holiday on his own, but what I believe makes Home Alone 2 superior are the supporting actors. From the pianist who gets hit by the Christmas tree in the beginning of the movie to the legendary hotel staff who are unable to secure a child who has stolen a credit card in their hotel, they make the movie. And in a weird way, a movie about a kid being alone in New York City, these supporting characters, they they remind Kevin that he's not alone. At every turn and every venture, Kevin finds himself connecting to somebody, albeit weird, unusual characters. There's always somebody there helping Kevin, noticing Kevin. Now, I want to draw attention to one of my favorite characters, Mr. Duncan. Midway through the beginning of the movie, Kevin orders a limousine, which all children do, orders a cheese pizza, call back to Home Alone 1, and says, take me to the best toy store in the city, and he finds himself at Duncan's toy chest. If you remember this scene, Kevin is about to pay for some toys that he's bought, and he has an exchange with Mr. Duncan, and we've got that clip ready to go. I'm not supposed to spend this money, but I have $20 from shoveling snow in a jar in our garage where my older brother can't find it. So I can pay my mother back with that. So you can give this to Mr. Duncan. The hospital needs it more than I do. Besides, I'm probably going to spend it on stuff that'll rot my teeth in my mind. <laughs> ah, that's, that's very sweet of you. Hey, you see that tree there? Hmm? Well... To show our appreciation for your generosity, I'm going to let you select an object from that tree that you can take home with you. Free? May may I make a suggestion? Okay. Take the turtle doves. I could have two? Well, two turtle doves. And I tell you what you do. You keep one, and you give the other one to a very special person. You see, turtle doves are a symbol of friendship and love. Now, as long as each of you have your turtle dove, you'll be friends forever. Wow, I never knew that. I thought they were just part of a song. They are, and and, and for that very special reason. Wow, thanks. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, too. So I mentioned this uh, at the beginning of the sermon, and this is kind of where the personal responsibility element comes in. Because what are we doing for the people in our lives that we know we need to check in on? And you know exactly who I'm talking about. The, the people that we, we kind of come across in our mind and we think, man, I wonder how they're doing. Or I haven't seen that person in, in a while. Maybe I should reach out to them. And then what happens? Like We get a text message, we get a phone call, and we... We move on. 
And so this question that I'm asking even myself is, who am I failing to reach out to and tell that person, like, hey, I need you in my life. I need you to know that you're not alone. Because when we do this, it's infectious. When we include others, others feel that they can include people as well. And you see this in this clip. Because if we know how the movie ends, what happens is Kevin holds on to those turtle doves until the very end of the movie. And at the end of the movie, he's with someone who has helped him. I don't want to spoil the movie if you haven't seen it. It came out a long time ago, so you need to get on it. But at the end of the movie, Kevin gives the turtle doves to somebody who has been there for him. He does that because somebody did it for him first. Including others is captivating. And when you experience a sense of belonging, you want others to feel that way as well. No one wants to feel alone, especially in these challenging times. And so we are called to do whatever we can to include others. But back to Mary. The next part of the story begins in verse 39. It says, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Now, a Bible nerd like myself, I don't like this. There aren't a lot of clues. I can't put this into my GPS and figure out where Zechariah and Elizabeth lived. And the reason is because Luke wants us to think that Mary travels a far way. She goes out into the distance, into the country. She goes kind of out from where she's familiar and goes out to the country to meet Elizabeth. So why does he do that? He does that to kind of amplify what Mary needs. See, Mary needs connection. The text says that she, in one of the translations, it says she went with haste. The first thing that she does when she feels isolated, as soon as the angel leaves, the first thing Mary thinks is, who can I go to be with? Who can I connect with? Who can I share my story with? I need to feel like I'm not alone. And sometimes if you're feeling this way, I want you to see what Mary does, is Mary takes the first step. A lot of times when we feel isolated and alone, we are waiting for people to come to us and connect. Your friends should be doing that, but sometimes, guys, you have to take the first step as well. And if you have people in your life like Elizabeth, they are going to welcome you. Now, the Bible doesn't use language like haste very often, but when it does, we need to pay attention. So, For example, in the prodigal son, the father runs with haste to his son. There's something within reach that these individuals must find. For the father of the prodigal son, it's his son. For Mary, it is connection and inclusion. And look what happens next. When Mary and Elizabeth connect, in verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Many scholars believe that the reason why John the Baptist makes movement is it's a connection to Genesis chapter 25 where Jacob and Esau are wrestling within the womb of Rebekah. But you're seeing the differences there. Where there's tension between Jacob and Esau in Genesis 25, there's joy and excitement within John the Baptist. The text continues with Elizabeth's response and the notation that she is filled with the Holy Spirit. In the context of Luke, this means that Elizabeth expresses the mind of God. Like Mary, Elizabeth is experiencing something that she couldn't imagine, but also like Mary, she responds differently than we might, not with fear, not with doubt, but with belief that something amazing has happened. And you see this in the attitude of, why am I so favored? In verse 42, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. 
But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? This is likely one of the most dramatic and striking statements in this section. Because she uses this language of the mother of my Lord. As Luke writes his gospel, Lord is first the title of God. Then later in Acts, Lord is is referenced as the resurrection title for Jesus. But in this moment, in this scene, Elizabeth uses it not only as a greeting, but a title and a recognition that the child within Mary will be the Lord and master of her life. This section ends with Mary stating, And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. This reference to Mary's faith is also captivating. Elizabeth is in awe of Mary's response to God. When others may doubt, Mary trusted God's word to be true and live in the light of that belief. And we too, as followers of Christ, should live that way. But more than anything, we see that Elizabeth recognizes that God keeps his promises. And in this exchange with Elizabeth, Mary likely realized it too. That although she felt alone and abandoned, God promises to her that he will overshadow. But in Mary's story, God's overshadowing wasn't a cloud, but a person. You see, this exchange between Mary and Elizabeth directs readers into a realization of how wonderful it is to participate in God's plan. What a joy it is to share in the work of God. But the story also reminds us that whatever journey we may find ourselves on, whatever life changes that come our way, we shouldn't do it alone. Like Mary, God will overshadow you. God will provide protection and direction as you move forward. But also, like Mary, God's overshadowing may not look the way that we expect. But God will provide because God keeps his promises and God will not abandon us. Let's stand and sing.